Well, good morning, friends. Good to have you with us this morning. I'm not sure if you guys noticed this, but it started to snow outside this morning, two mornings ago. It's never going to stop snowing, actually, is what I feel like right now, but uh, I'm glad that you have uh, braved the elements. Thank you for doing that. Thanks for getting out in the snow and, uh, and joining us. If you are visiting, man, thanks for coming out of all days. Uh, especially today. Thanks so much for being a part of this morning. Hopefully it was an encouragement to you. What an incredible worship set that was and just some talent and incredible people. Thank you, uh, ladies especially, uh, for just strengthening us so, so much, so well. Uh, if you are visiting, Ryan mentioned, go ahead and go to the Welcome Center out front. There's a, a coffee mug with your name on it, actually our name on it, but it's for you, uh, and it will come in handy the next few days, uh, either shoveling snow or inside uh, staying warm. Uh, despite the snow. So please, uh, please go and grab one of those up for us. Uh, actually, I prefer this type of weather, and that's the first time I've ever said that thus far in the last seven months. And I'm not preaching with long underwear on today. So that is a first for me this winter season. TMI? A little too much? All right, sorry. Uh, but I prefer this to what we were stranded in and had to experience all of last week. We went to Nashville last week to, to visit some family, and we got stuck in the, in the winter ice storm of 2015, you know, uh, down in Nashville. Four inches thick of ice. I've never quite seen anything quite like that. So I prefer inches of snow to inches of ice. So at least we're not in Nashville. Amen? All right, I'm not sure what that means. But, um, but thanks to Mr. Beatty, uh, one of our amazing pastors here at West Bowles. He filled in so, so well, so adequately for me last week. You know, that man has been doing ministry for over 40 years. And over that time, you can imagine, he's probably seen a little bit of everything, the highs and the lows and the in-between. So I thought he'd be the perfect man to preach on and then get us out of the wilderness because uh, he has seen a little bit of that. I'm sure a lot of that himself in 40 years of ministry. And they were in that place for 40 years, so he was a neat guy to have preach on that. So thanks, Dave, uh, for doing a great job last week. We're in a series right now entitled The Story, and it's a series where we as a church are walking through the entire biblical narrative from cover to cover we're trying to do is see how all the different characters and all the different storylines, how they all perfectly fit together. And how I tell a much larger story, this upper story of God, this upper story of Jesus Christ. And the hope is that you see how all these stories connect. Maybe stories you've read in passing or in different ways at different times, but now you're seeing how they all come together. But the main hope, the main goal, is you see how this story, God's story, makes sense of your story. How it actually gives meaning to and purpose to your story. Uh, but this morning, given the weather and the fact that most of our church is still at home in their footy pajamas, um, the online giving still works, though, for those watching online. Uh, I thought we would take a break, though, from the story this week so that we can all be together and ensure that we are all on the same page, uh, literally and spiritually, uh, next week. I'm really excited to move forward with the story because chances are most of us have heard or at least read the stories we've covered thus far at one point or another. Most folks know about creation. They've heard a little something or watched a movie or two or ten about the Exodus. Uh, they've seen the Ten Commandments before. But then after that, most folks don't have a clue what happens in the Old Testament. There's a, a boy and a giant. There's a lion's den. And then Jesus, yay! So uh, the hope is to go a little bit more in depth because there's a lot more to the story than that. So we're super excited uh, to jump into that. Plus, the next time we enter into the story, we're going to be going into the promised land. And we can't leave half of our church behind. Right? We can't enter the promised land without a lot of people here because I'd get a lot of mean emails this week if we did that. So, so we're just going to wait. Just wait for a week 
uh, and continue this story next week. I do have a couple of words and thoughts for you, though. But before I share those, let me pray for us. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the way that you have already made yourself known and, and kind of ministered to our hearts and our spirits. Thank you for the gift of song, the power of praise. Thank you that we get to do something um, that, that lifts you up, but God, at the same time, it lifts us up. So thank you for the ladies who led us so well this morning. Thanks for reminding us what's important and who's in charge and whose story this is. Uh, this morning, though, we ask that you would just breathe and move and come into this space, come into this place, God. We don't just want to learn about you. We want to fall in love with you. We don't just want to talk about you. We want to speak to you and with you. We want to be changed by you. So please help us uh, to do that this morning. Come down through your Holy Spirit and bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking you a few questions. And they aren't rhetorical, so feel free to shout out your answers. I'm going to ask a series of questions, and they all begin with the same line. What images come to mind when I say? All right, so shout out the answers. What images come to mind when I say Mexican food? Tacos? Green chili? A few other things? Casa Bonita? All right, good, good. That's not Mexican food. That's trash. Thank you. Thank you. Be here all week, hopefully. All right, what images come to mind when I say family vacations? Fun? Relax? The beach? Stressful? Okay. A couple different uh, images come to mind. How about what images come to mind when I say Disneyland? Mickey Mouse? Expense? Measles? Okay, very good. It's fascinating, isn't it? One simple word can conjure up a ton of different images and thoughts and memories. I say one thing and all of a sudden your mind is flooded, isn't it? With all kinds of different experiences and other words. From food to trips to amusement parks, one little word is all it takes to access an entire gallery of images that we have stored in our minds. And to be honest, as we've experienced even in this little experiment, it's kind of a toss-up whether or not those are positive images or negative images. I mean, think about it. There's a good chance when I said Mexican food, you immediately thought back to that goat cheese enchilada plate you had in the hole-in-the-wall restaurant that messed you up for several weeks. <laughs> when I said family vacation, your mind conjured up images that made Oswald outings look like a picnic. Right, images of long, hot road trips, kids screaming, dogs throwing up in the back of the minivan, awkward reunions, not so positive. Or when I said Disneyland, you didn't see Mickey Mouse, you saw some guy wearing Mickey Mouse ears taking all the money out of your pocket. Or maybe it was Mickey Mouse himself taking all the money out of your pocket. And I've been thinking a lot lately about the significance that images play in our life. Think about marketing. Right, it's all designed to get you to immediately think about or associate an image with a brand. And what marketing um, experts are going to try to do is to get you to think positively when you see their image, when you see the Nike swoosh, when you see the eBay symbol, even when you see Disney's logo. They want a flood of positive images to come into your head. Because if you have positive images in your head, chances are you're going to be a little bit more casual with your funds. 
They want there to be a positive association between their image and the things that come to your mind. See, everything from our attitudes to our actions, from the apathy we have or the attention that we pay towards things, all of it can be traced back to what you think of when you think of whatever it might be. Does that make sense? So what do you think of when I say Mexican food? That will determine whether or not you get Mexican food all the time or not. What do you think of when I say family vacations? That will determine whether or not you go on a lot of family vacations. What do you think of when I say Disneyland? Will determine whether or not you give Mickey your college fund. Right? It just depends on what you think of when you think of. It's all about the associations. It's all about what images come to mind when you think of a certain word. How many of you have ever seen the movie Ratatouille? Great Disney flick. One of our family's favorites. There's this scene where Igor, the food critic, he's there to taste the new chef's food. And the future of the restaurant rests entirely on this one man's opinion of it. He's, the, he's a big deal in Paris. And so they want to make sure that he gives a good interpretation, that he has a positive association with this restaurant, that the images that come to his mind are good. And so they decide to serve him this peasant dish called none other than ratatouille. He takes his first bite, and if you remember the scene, it's amazing. His mind immediately flashes back to when he was a little boy. Right? And he thinks back to this time when he fell off of his bike and he skinned his knee. And his mom picked him up and coddled him and loved him and took him inside and made him none other than a dish of ratatouille. And so for him, he thinks of this meal, he sees this meal, and his mind is flooded with positive emotions. His mind is flooded with positive thoughts and positive experiences and positive memories. Therefore, he loves Ratatouille, and therefore he loves the restaurant. It's all about the associations he made. It's all about the images that came to his mind. That meal conjured up images and memories that were positive and beneficial, so therefore everybody lived happily ever after. But you get the idea, right? If the images we associate with something are positive, we will act positively towards those things. But if the images we have are negative, then we will act negatively towards those things. If the term work for you conjures up images of shoveling snow all day long, then chances are you're going to hate to go to work. You're going to go to work against your will. You're not going to be a very good employee. But if I say work, and immediately you think of God's calling in your life, fulfilling a promise, being fruitful, then all of a sudden you're probably going to want to go to work. You're going to spend extra hours at work and you're going to be a great employee. It's all about what you think of when you think of something. Child sponsorship agencies picked up on this a few years ago. If you remember back in the day, how did they used to try to get your money and your attention to, spy, to sponsor a child in a third world country? It was negative images, Right? It was children in need of sponsorships, but their bodies were all decrepit, their bellies were bloated. It, it was kind of disgusting images. They were hoping that, that the guilt association you would make, that when you thought of child sponsorships, you thought of kids in need, therefore it would result in more sponsorships. It didn't work. After a while, their giving started to plummet. So what they do? They change their philosophy. If you watch some of those videos now, what do they show instead? What are the images they associate with child sponsorship? Healthy kids. Kids who have received sponsorships. And so it's kids who are happy and laughing and smiling and, and, and everything is great. They want you now to associate what could be, not what is. See, it's all about association. Child sponsorship, what comes to mind? Kids dying of hunger or kids living happily? They realized everything changes depending on which of those two you associate with their agency. 
It all comes down to imagery. It all comes down to your mental picture, the photo gallery, the memories that flood you when you think of something. And what's true in commercials is true in life, is true in child sponsorships, it's true in faith. It's especially true in faith. And that's why Jesus said what he did in Luke 15. Let me ask you one more question, but this time, Jan, it's rhetorical. Sorry, first service, she shouted out an answer. It was a good answer. Anyway, what images come to mind when I say God? What images come to mind when I say God? Now, some of you have never been asked that question that directly before, and others of you maybe have thought about this for hours on end. But really spend some time this morning thinking about how you answer that question. Probe deep into your heart and your memory bank and your image bank. What images, what memories, what thoughts, what pictures come to mind when I say God? Now, chances are most of you struggled to think of anything. Most of you struggle to have any image come into your mind. There's a chance that no image, maybe outside of Michelangelo's painting or some cheesy 70s movie, no image came to God, came to mind when I said God. And here's why. Because a lot of people unknowingly tend to think of God as this really great idea. That, that God is a truth that we believe in, but it's a nebulous truth, and you really can't pinpoint, you really can't nail it down, you really don't know how to describe it. The best example I could think of is Nirvana, not the band, uh, but, but the spiritual principle. This idea that, that there is out there somewhere some existence, some, some form of, of being that sounds good, that I want, that I'm looking forward to, but I don't really know anything about it, and, and I can't really pin it down for you. I can't really describe it to you. See, for a lot of people, God is like that. He sounds good. He is good, but I'm not very good at explaining him to you. I can't tell you what he's like. I can't describe him to you. There's no images that come to mind. And that's a problem because, you see, God is not this nebulous idea. He's not just a set of beliefs or something you give intellectual consent to. God is not just an idea. God is our Father. Our Father. See, I wasn't the first one to say this. Jesus said it. In fact, he said it 10 times in one sermon. When a preacher says something multiple times, you should probably write it down. When he says something 10 times, you should probably write it down, underline it, and highlight it, or a couple little stars or smiley faces next to it. Jesus said 10 times, God is our Father. Let me show you a couple of examples. It says in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your nebulous nirvana in heaven. Now, what did he say? Your father. Be perfect, therefore, as your idea of God, which is not really concrete at all, is perfect. Now he said, your father. This, then, is how you should pray. Our idea of God, whatever you are, high in the sky, by and by, hallowed be your name. Or as they said, your father. I think Jesus is trying to help you re-image God, re-imagine God, because Jesus seems to understand the association you make with that word makes all the difference in the world. If you have a negative word association, image association, when you think of God, chances are you're not going to like him or live for him. But if you have a positive word association, if you have a positive memory, a positive image of God, chances are you don't you, you like him, but man, you want more of him. You want to totally live for him. Does that make sense? You with me? It's clear that God wants us to think of him, know to him, know him, and refer to him as Father. 
See, he's not a nebulous, vague idea. He's a person that wants to have a relationship with you, and not just any type of relationship. He wants you to know him and see him and think of him and imagine him as your father. This is is profound. This sermon would have blown people away. They would have been talking about it and tweeting it for, for, for days. God's name at the time of Jesus was so holy, you didn't even say it. People believed that God was so other than, so far away from us, so beautiful, so perfect, you couldn't even write his name in its entirety. And here Jesus comes down and he says, his name is wonderful, his name is marvelous, he is holy, but you can say his name. In fact, he wants you to say his name, and he wants you to say it all the time, Daddy. 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 Recently, my two-year-old, Cassia, has started calling me Thomas. Um, it's a little strange. I mean, that is my name, and everybody calls me Thomas, except for those who call me Joe or Chris. But there's only two people in this entire world who get to call me Dada, Bailey and Cassia. Those are the only two who have that special relationship with me, that intimate connection with me, they get to use that title for me. Only those two get to say it, Dada. So you can call me Thomas, that's who I am, but I'm your dad, and I actually prefer for you to call me by that name. I wonder if Jesus isn't saying that about our heavenly Father. We can call him any number of things. We can think any number of things about him, but you know what he really wants us to call him? Daddy. You know how he really wants us to think about him? As our daddy. You know what images he wants us to to be flooded with when we think of his name? It's that of a loving daddy. It's amazing that when Jesus talked about God, he never really taught people in the way that that we think about teaching. He didn't lecture. He didn't stand in front of a whiteboard or provide a handout. Unlike me, he didn't have his three main points or the three Ds to the text. It didn't didn't feel like religion 101 or 301. He didn't use big God, big words to talk about God. He just simply tried to change your image of God. He tried to rebrand God for you. He simply tried to replace whatever image you had, whether it was a negative image of a judge trying to punish you, or maybe just a nebulous image of nothingness. He tried to change that image, and instead he tried to replace it with an image of a father. In fact, he replaced it with a couple of different images. Luke 15. These are some profound stories that I absolutely love, and most of us who have spent any time around church have read these before, but if you haven't, oh, I'm glad I get to be the first one to read them to you. Luke 15, this is Jesus re-imaging, re-imagining God for you. I'm just going to read the whole text because you've got nothing better to do today. It's snowing outside. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Pause for a second. You can already see the negative association between things, can't you? Sinners and tax collectors, those who aren't like me, are bad. When I think of other people, I have negative images that come to mind. Already we see some branding taking place here. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep... If he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent at all. Or what woman... 
having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, I wish you were dead. Give me the share of property that is mine. So he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey to a far country called Las Vegas. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Sorry, nothing, Ryan, I know you like Vegas, it's cool. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He was longing to be fed with the, the food and the pods that the pigs ate, yet no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread? But here I perish with hunger. I will rise, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I wasted your money and your inheritance. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his head on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found, and they began to celebrate. Did you see the branding there? Did you see the re-imaging? In, in this passage, in this teaching, Jesus isn't trying to give you more information about God. He's trying to reprogram the way you see God, the way you think about God the word associations you make with God. He's trying to get you to re-image this God. See, when you think about God, Jesus wants you to think about a woman who has lost two of her most precious coins. These coins are her most prized possession. Each and every coin is so valuable to her, so valuable to her. Losing one of them maybe means she can't feed the kids that month or she can't pay the rent that month. And so losing one is devastating on multiple levels. Losing two, oh no. Losing more than that, her life could be over. So she turns the entire house upside down. She flips furniture over. She tears the, the, the pads off of the beds. She empties out all of the cupboards and then she finds them hidden away in some little place. She finds them and she rejoices when she does. When she sees these two little coins in the corner, she breaks out in song and dance. Praise God! Praise God, she says. She scoops her children up in her arms. She whirls them around the living room. She is ecstatic. She calls all her girlfriends up. We're having a party tonight at my place. She goes door to door to all her neighbors. I lost something, but now I've found it. Come and share in my joy. Is that the image that comes to mind when you think of God? That's the image Jesus thinks should come to mind. An ecstatic woman dancing and rejoicing because she found you. She found her most prized possession. When you think of God, Jesus wants you to think of a shepherd, a shepherd who has lost one of his 100 sheep. 
A shepherd who doesn't angrily and laboriously go looking for this one. Rather, he, he goes after him. He risks losing the other 99, or even worse, he risks losing his own life. But all of that is insignificant compared to the reward of finding this one. The shepherd turns from this cold, callous mountain man to this tended-hearted lover. He acts like this little animal is his most prized possession, his very best friend, his reason for existence. And when he finds this one little sheep that walked away, when he finds him, he picks him up and he embraces him. He puts him on his shoulders and he dances and he skips all the way back home. It's like his little long lost brother. Is that the image that comes to mind when you think of God? That's the one Jesus thinks should come to mind. But my favorite image out of all of the three is the last. It's the image of a father running to embrace and welcome home his son. And although this is not a direct parallel, forgive me, I want to share with you a story that I think gets at the heart of this final image. A friend of mine told me this story years ago, and he called it God in High Heels. And the story goes like this. He says, well, I was living in Lubbock, Texas. A dear friend of mine who lived in Dallas was called away to work. But that weekend, his daughter was going to be in the regional cross-country championships in Lubbock. So he asked if I, as his friend, would pick up his wife and daughter from the airport and take them to the championships that morning. Well, I was delighted to do it, and I found myself eager to watch the race. So early on Saturday morning, I got up and got dressed and went down to May Simmons Park. And I was there providentially, because that morning I witnessed a thing of beauty that I will tell and retell the rest of my life. It was a marvelously bright, clear, cool morning. Hundreds of spectators had gathered on the hillsides to watch. It's my only problem with this story is he says, Lubbock and hillsides. I'm not sure. But if you can get past that, I think it's a great story. Uh, there were mostly parents there and family members who had traveled miles, in some case hundreds of miles, to watch the race. I didn't have a child running, so I often found myself watching those who were watching the race. All of their faces were intense, their eyes always picking out the only runner they were interested in, not concerned about any others. And often, when the runners were far away and they couldn't even hear their shouts of encouragement, still their lips would move, mouthing the precious familiar name and then one other word. Sometimes they would say the name softly, as if for no ears but their own, yet audibly because they loved to hear the sound of the name, run, Jenny, run. Run, Timothy, run. The cross-country race is two miles for girls and three for boys. It's a grueling, physically and mentally exhausting run over hills and rough terrain. There were 10 races that morning, beginning with class 1A and ending with class 5A. Each race had about 80 to 120 competitors, and the course ended exactly where it began, but at times it was over three-quarters of a mile away. As the class 5A girls race came to a close, I watched a 40-year-old mother wearing patent leather shoes and a skirt carrying a purse run the last 100 yards besides her daughter. She saw no other runners. She ran awkwardly, stumbling, her dark hair coming undone. She gave no thought to the spectacle that she was making, and she just cried out, run, Cammie, run, keep running. There were hundreds of people crowded in, shouting and cheering, but this mother was determined to be heard. Run, Cammie, I'm right here with you. Keep running. 
The girl had no chance to win, but the voice of the mother was bursting with exertion and emotion. She was not urging her to win. She was just urging her to run. The girl was in trouble. Her muscles were cramping. Her breath came in ragged gasps. Her stride was broken. She was in the last stages of weariness before collapse. But when she heard her mother's voice, a marvelous transformation took place. When she saw her mother's presence, she straightened up, found her balance, her bearing, her rhythm, and she finished. She crossed the finish line, and she turned, and she collapsed into the arms of her mother. They fell down on the grass, and they rolled in the hills. They, they laughed, and they cried together. They were having the best time of their lives, and it was as if nobody else in the world even existed as this event transpired, I fell to my knees and I thank God for giving me a glimpse into his love for me. Is that the image that comes to your mind when you think about God? 40-year-old woman wearing patent leather shoes and carrying a purse? Sounds odd. I get it. But I think that's actually the image Jesus would want for you to think of. It's crucial that we recognize whatever image we have, or if there isn't an image, it makes all the difference in the world. Chances are you are struggling in your relationship with God. Chances are you are struggling to have joy as a Christian. Chances are you are struggling with the fruits of the Spirit or with becoming a true disciple. You know why? Because you've got a negative word association or a negative image association as it pertains to God. Or you have no association at all. He's still just this vague, nebulous idea. But I tell you what, when you have a positive association, when you see God as this woman who rejoices over you, as this shepherd who carries you like a best friend, as this, this, this mother or this father figure running to you, running with you, carrying you, when you have that association, you can't help but pray. You want to come to worship. You want to do whatever he's asked you to do. It's all about the association. It's all about what images and words and memories come to mind. When you have the right association, when you re-image, when you reimagine who God is, you don't have to try harder to live for him. It will just happen. So I want to challenge you this week. Answer that question for yourself. What do you think of when you hear the word God? And if it's anything but one of these three images, maybe you need a rebranding, a re-imaging, a reimagining of God. And again, it might be a small difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. Let me pray that over you and send you out to get some hot chocolate. God, we thank you for who you are. You are an amazing God. There is none like you. You're not angry with us. You don't need us to pacify you through sacrifices. You don't demand that we please you. You are a God that comes to us and you want us to recognize and see you as a father. Now, for some of us, that has a negative association with that term and that understanding. But God, you want to re-image that word, that understanding. You want us to see you as one who loves us, as one who is for us, as one who's excited to be with us. God, would you help us to be overwhelmed this morning with positive memories and positive images of who you are. Because when we think of you in these ways, when we think of you as the characters in Luke 15, it will make all the difference in the world, God. When you become like that, we'll become like you. So help us, Father, to reimagine and to rethink who you are. 
Help us to see you as our Father, our loving Father and friend. Help us to help that to be the primary images that come to mind when your name comes up. Please make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, again, thanks so much for being with us. If you are new to West Bowles, grab a mug on your way out. We also have some free copies of the story. We'll be picking up chapter 7 next week. If you've already read chapter 7, read ahead. You've got a couple of weeks here to do your homework. Uh, Can't wait to see you. Have an amazing week. Stay safe. Stay warm. We'll see you soon.